face the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me, of course, Sir Admiral Elliot. Happy New Year. Welcome back. And Dr. Squee. Dragon 2024. And we're back for the new year to talk about a new season of Deep Space Nine, the final season of Deep Space Nine. Uh, but don't think that means we're towards the end of the Dominion <laughs> War because <laughs> nearly every episode of, of this season. season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's about three episodes we won't be talking about directly in this little arc. Roundabout. And um, so, to death. be fair, <laughs> you've got to be careful even there because like, something I noticed about these two episodes, that even though they're both Dominion War, just watching one of them, doesn't work on its own. You need to watch the two of them together. Oh, you do, yeah. It's very much a two-parter. Do you know what I um, as well? Just just talking generally before we get into it, I love the fact that you've got these last season opener. Loads of people would have felt pressure to do a big kind of like uh, space battle, explosions, everything. It was such a wonderful character piece, and you were never bored for a minute. Like it was, it was as good as having a huge battle scene because it's just. I mean, we did get a battle. The character, yeah, but you know what I mean. It's like that was kind of incidental, really. The battle was the minor part. Yeah. The major part was all about kind of like how much these people care about each other, why they're doing it, why later on the stakes matter because they were there for each other. You know, I feel like that was really the theme of these two. Yeah, definitely. And the episodes we're talking about, of course, Image in the Sand, and I always forget the name of the second one, Shadows and Symbols. I've had uh, uh, Linda Carlisle in my head all week, because it's just Images yeah. in the Sand, I just immediately <laughs> circling the sand, and I've had that song going yeah. on in my head all week. <laughs> God, wait, watch out for next week's episode, Walk Like a Bajoran. <laughs> With you, oh no, it's Dax who will clasps her hands behind her back and uh, I was trying to make a joke about the way Kira walks and it didn't work, it fell flat on its face never mind speaking of Kira though, so we start off this episode and Kira has now been promoted to a colonel and has the special colonel's haircut can we just can we just like uh, start on this opening scene because it's like I do think it's really nice the way they do it so they naturally do in dialogue it's like hello colonel it's like oh stop calling me that, it's kind of really cutesy but yeah. Jesus I've realized what it is because I think this, I, I think I'm going to notice this all the way through watching their episodes. When they're just naturally being a couple like that, they work really well. The second they sound something cutesy, it breaks it completely. Yeah, I agree. Like, the line which they do here is like, it's like, that was some kiss, changed my life. It sounds so artificial. It just sounds. Yeah, yeah it does. Whereas they are best when they're just naturally being together. Yeah. It's effortless. It should be like that. And it's like, I, I thought it was Odo, really. But I think, actually, it's Kira who feels more awkward. Because later on, there's a bit where he's meant to touch, she's meant to touch her hand. It's, sorry, she's meant to touch his hand. And it's supposed to, like, oh, she goes, sort of, like, almost just pats it and then lets it go. It's like, it's... Yeah, it's... The chemistry's weird. Like, obviously, they have great chemistry together as actors because the, the interplay between the characters has always been brilliant. But playing the the romance side of it. It, it yeah we've said this before but there's something that just doesn't quite gel well let's look, let's look at it one of them's a warrior the other one's a really private person so why not play it like that that they're just yeah. naturally comfortable together they're not 
neither of them seems naturally apt to do lines like that, you know, like no, uh, no. that was some gifts changed my life. It's just not their way. That, that, I know some people have different relationships to how they are privately, but it just doesn't work for them. Just have them being themselves, but as a couple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. you see that a bit, you do see that later on with it. Yeah, you do. In these, and they're brilliant when they're just being a couple and you've got Kira lounging on top of order and they're talking. And he's yeah, going, that works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, that it, works. It, it feels like the writers, <laughs> like either the writers or the studio, gave them notes to say it's like, well, we should have a couple of coupley lines here. Don't just yeah. let them be together. Then yeah, great, you know. Yeah, and the characters are that sort where the because we've seen all doing relationships and Kieran relationships before, and they've not been like that in the other relationships. So why make them do it? Here? I mean, Kira with Burial was pretty bad, but I think that's just because Burial was really bad and anything he touched became bad. Like, it, I mean, it, yeah. it kind of works when you've got Worf and uh, Dax because you could give Dax her cutesy kind of like line. She was apt to have Yeah, that worked. Yeah. And he then was emboldened to say something really kind of macho and cool. And like, he always seemed really pimp when he was with her. And like, but it worked with his character. With those two, just just they don't suit cutesy. They just don't. No, it's just they do like not. Uh, the other thing I noticed a lot in this episode is I know you've got to establish what the passage of time is, but everybody seems keen to remind us that it's three months later. Like that's been going on for three months. Captain Cisco's been gone for three months. <laughs> um, so I think I this think is that's three the... months after the previous episode. I think what you've got. I think what you've got there is like part of this is this is very early on where you had this sort of episodic thing happens in TV. So the word trying to do. It's still like, yeah, there's been a gap, but the story is taking on from there. But, yeah, and I, and, I think... And sometimes you have... And we've had some series of uh, DS9 where the opener of the new season has literally been, almost been the following day. Yeah, the that's what I was going to say. So, so they've had to sort of, it always was. Yeah, so they've had to do that and sort of go, no, there has been a passage in time. Cisco but, hasn't just got back to Earth and he's coming straight back. He's been... But yeah. I, I, I'd agree with Jim. You could have sort of said it once, maybe twice, and then just left yeah. it. But it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think it, it's, it's I think noticeable. I think I think we notice it more now than we would have at the time because at the time it was something that you probably did need. Maybe, yeah. We told us the audience. Yeah. That's my that's my point in it. That yeah, I think you might this be right. Is like an early on episodic. We used episodic TV now, but you didn't get that in. At this time, and also there's a, there's a difference between watching it casually and watching it paying attention, like we do yeah. when we're going to be talking about it on a podcast. So you do pull these things out, but um, I like the introduction of the cult of the pirates. We'll put a pin in that because they might be important later on in yeah. the season. Uh, but I do like this idea that that they're cut off from the gods, so people are turning to alternate religions. That's quite a, a meaty idea to to get stuck into there. Because and, and you could apply it to sort of like some of the modern stuff of people where religions have um, maybe our relationship with religions has changed. That's all I'm yeah. saying. But it means and, you wonder if like that's led to some of the kind of like uh, in America, like some people treating Trump like a god, like a messiah, like, you know, yeah. some people treating these kind of political figures as if they're religious figures. Now, it's interesting not, how that kind of changes. And even the same about. 
There aren't any characters in Deep Space Nine who are a little bit like Trump and want to be treated like a god. We'll put a pin in that as well. We, <laughs> might, we might come on to that later on. There are uh, guys out there who maybe have fallen out of favor with the elite on Cardassia, but I don't see any link between them no, and Trump. No, no. I don't see anything. He's just trying to make Cardassia great again. That's all he's trying to do, people. And yeah, so I like and Bajor's always been presented as a monotheistic society like that we've certainly oh, never been told of any other religions no. on Bajor and the idea that this is creeping in now and yep. to the to the point that it's active on the station is is interesting and i'd say to your point actually it's like i mean what i realized watching this back doing this arc is uh how much they pepper in the power rates you know you don't really mm. notice until this series like when i first watched yeah. it i would have said oh yeah i think they mentioned power rates before but like that it's quite well kind of peppered in but it's so subtly done that it builds very been... naturally to this and i suppose this is the other thing as well is like up until this point the power rates have been a myth you know, when we first hear about them, Keiko talks about them as, you know, people talk about the, the power wraiths in the fire caves as if it's like a bogeyman story of oh, the American oh, the, the like bogeyman. Satan in hell. And... Uh, yeah, but, but there's been, you know, there has been absolute proof the prophets exist by the wormhole. But until this last year in universe, the, there's not been any proof of power raids. But all of a sudden, you've had one taking over Jake and battling someone on the promenade. And then even if they cover that up, there's the sight of them flying into the wormhole and shutting it down. So yeah. if this was like an underground sort of cultish religion... It's no wonder they've got emboldened because they can now go, well, look, you saw our gods kill your gods and shut the wormhole down um, three months ago, yeah. in fact. I also, just bringing in, like, I love leading into it, the um, the way they show Cisco back in uh, his, his dad's kitchen. Because mm. they do a really wonderful job of, they show that he's distant, that he is different from how he is before. There are a few moments of levity where it's like, he still pals around with Jake. I kind of like they added that element. They didn't just yeah. make it simply he's just in a trance or anything. It's like he's still being himself and he's still able to connect with his son and everything, which is kind of a nice touch. I think in lesser writer's hands, they might have just made him mm. so like he's in a zombie state well, until he's well, awakened. I think they've actually gone to him uh, just chill at the piano because yeah. it is very much on, on that piano. Like he's in there, uh, meet the captains when uh, yeah, he the is. captain's yeah. interviewing him and he's just... <laughs> he goes full Avery Brooks in this yeah. one in terms of just tinkling the ivories, not a care in the world. I, I'll tell you, it's between the captains <laughs> and what they leave behind, what we left behind, uh, that really made me on a new level. Like I always appreciated um, Avery Brooks's acting, but it's like when you think of it in terms of jazz, which I always now, whenever I watch one of his performances, I think of it as a musical performance in acting. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, it's, well, yeah, but it's like, it is, <laughs> but it's like, it's, if you think of it as free form jazz, as opposed to like classical acting, it's like you get the improv kind of wild side of acting that he, he goes towards. Yeah. It's just, it's so much more enjoyable on a completely different level. You see what he's actually doing. Yeah. And even when it doesn't quite work, because anyone who swings for the fences like he does, because he gives such big, beautiful performances, you're going to yeah. miss sometimes. Yeah. It's the kind and of that, Nicholas Cage of it. I was just about to say the same thing. 
Yeah, when he hits it's 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 out of this world. It is the best acting ever. When he misses, it can be spectacularly <laughs> funny. It just can be. <laughs> but it's like I just always appreciate it more because I see what he's doing now. And it's like, yeah, having him actually playing the piano, you kind of like get to tie those worlds together a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And the other plot then that's introduced, because there's three strands to this two-part. So we've got Cisco's quest. We've got Kira and the politics on the station with the Romulans. And we've got Worf. And we start off with Worf just seeing him on the Defiant. He's unhappy doing convoy duty. Um, but we come to find out it's it's much, much deeper than that. Yeah, I mean, this whole plot is just wonderful. Having the kind of history between him and Miles, even though it's kind of weird, like it, it seemed like slightly lazy writing when he comes in and goes like, hey, remember Lieutenant Barkley? It's, it feels like he's talking to you. Yeah. You remember but those episodes? I think it's also that he's just trying to pin Worf down because Worf is trying That's to it. push him straight off. So mm. Yeah, but, but it's what he's, he's coming out. He's, yeah. saying, he's saying that. And that is a nod to the audience to remind us that these both serve together on the Enterprise, that they have it got is. a history beyond DS9. I know, and it is slightly kind of like anything really I'm saying about these episodes, because I think they're wonderful, is kind of nitpicking, but it's yeah. like, you know, just watching it back, I just think it's like, it just doesn't feel like very natural. It's just I, like, remember Luton and Barkley? There's certain, thing, there's certain things in it, and they're done playing to the audience to remind you of stuff, and that's when it it's a bit awkward. It's like how they keep having to, like we said, how they keep having to go, by the way, that was three months ago. That was yeah. three months ago. Do you remember? And you've got Wolf and uh, O'Brien. Do you remember when we served on the Enterprise with this character that you'll all remember <laughs> yeah, if you were yeah. fans? <laughs> yeah, it just, just feels clunky in a rewatch, I guess. You know, at the time, like you said, yeah. I probably wouldn't have even but noticed it. I think a lot of it is because the, the, the these, when it's these parts, they actually talking to us as the audience. Yeah, exactly. Not, so you they're remember making, they're not Barclay. breaking the fourth wall, but they're doing it so that yeah, we 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 immediately put together. Yeah, these two have a history before DS Nine. I guess I'm just I'm just watching it with a modern sensibility where I think we've got a little bit better. At, uh, <laughs> you know, the writers have got better at doing exposition a bit more subtly than this yeah. was a little in your face kind of like uh, mm. on a rewatch. But it does mean because Worf's feeling out of sorts, we get another song from Vic Fontaine. And I don't mind it this time. It doesn't feel as intrusive as sometimes it does. And it, it works to to further the plot in this one. Whereas I think it was, it was last episode, wasn't it, where he sang the song for Bashir and Quark? And it, it just felt like, what? Yeah. why? Actually, why you know, this it? seems like all over a better version of that. Uh, storyline because that seemed a little bit forced. It seemed like they needed a B storyline, so they put mm. that in. Yeah, they, that. they had them retreading stuff they'd already really faced. Whereas this one, they've lost their friend and they, yeah, exactly, yeah. they've lost their love interest. Yeah. But of course, Quark being grabbing his goes like, Well, she should have been my wife, but that's just Quark being Quark, yeah, that's, that's yeah. Quark. But, but you've got this, this is like, Yeah, we loved her, but we loved her as a friend, and we've got just as much right to mother as you have. And yeah, it's beautiful. And the way they play point. that, the way they play Wolf's Chelsea, the way they have them initially talking about it, and it's like, yeah, like Bashir goes, like, well, you got, you didn't like to O'Brien, you didn't know her like I did. Like, I, this is my friend, I'm going to be there. And he goes, well, you know what that means? I'm going to be the idiot who's going along with you because they're pal- and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it is just so beautiful. And again, it's just a beautiful character piece. These two episodes. Well, yeah, like we've said before, though, the the friendship between O'Brien and Bashir 
is probably the best bromance that's ever been shown on TV. Amen. Yeah. And I think it just leads in, you know, again, as I said at the top of the episode, it's like everything they put into character development here adds so much when they're like in the last episode, you don't have so much time for character development. They have wonderful character moments, but it's it's all about the driving plot. But because you've already put in the groundwork, that emotions yeah. heighten so much because you think back to this episode where they're they're going out to celebrate their friend and they're becoming closer as a team than they've ever been before. Even like, I mean, I actually it made me kind of wish there was an episode with just Worf and uh, Quark. That's the only thing I yeah, think. Yeah, that really would got. be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um the, there is a very minor sort of subplot. Not even a subplot. We, we, we just sort of touch base with Damar and Wayun every so often. And the, well, this is it, quite interesting, this, because, like, Damar is obviously the head of the Cardassia Card- now. Mm. But this is where you're starting to see him drinking. Yes. And, and, and this plays into things that he's drinking. And we think he's just drinking because he can. And it's actually he's drinking because he's really upset. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I loved it because didn't we also have a bit with him drinking previously when um, Damar's daughter died? We, and then he's, he was like, yeah, uh, in the back and he kind of sort of held himself back. Now he's starting to slip back on it. It's almost we like have had yeah. we have had him drinking, but it to the point that Wayun is noticing it now. Yeah, yeah, um, he's constantly drinking that. Yeah, perhaps unknown to Damar, that puts him on very shaky ground because. He did not get there on his merits. He got there because the cat didn't work out as a figurehead for the Dominion. Yeah. And they thought, right, we'll just go to the next guy and you can be the figurehead. But it's like, if you get this wrong, you are disposable. And he, they need someone to front the Cardassian side of it. But that someone definitely doesn't have to be Demar. And I think also to sort of like, because I, I feel like there isn't too much to come back to with this the one thing i will say is is there's a later line where uh uh wayne says uh like oh typical uh romans you can always trust them to be duplicitous and it's like it's so telling that he's so unself unaware because they sell out every ally they have for the next ally which comes along and it's sort of like i think it kind of sets up on that by saying it very subtly though that like he he doesn't i think it's their their lack of self-awareness as the dominion that really is their undoing and it's so i don't think it's a lack of awareness i think it's that they've got such a superiority complex because Mm. they have a a lack of self-awareness in a way you know they think yeah they think they're perfect that you know they're not depressed they're just sensible in going to like you know whoever's most beneficial to the next they I think it's it. also because look at because they're being genetically created to believe the founders are gods. Yeah, that they they can't actually envision anything that they're doing because it's all coming down from the founders. It can be wrong in any way whatsoever. Yeah, and they also, anything is always always right that they do. Yeah, they I, also I think... can't comprehend that other races don't immediately fall in line to that. It's like, well, the Cardassians must think the founders are gods as well. So, you know, we won't get any trouble from them. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think there is a side to it where Wayne, like, because it's until the founders every now and again, they like the female founder usually bitch slaps him down and says, like, no, you're wrong. And then he goes, oh my God. Like, it's almost like, oh my God, I wasn't perfect for a second because usually I'm quite perfect. You know, I think he really thinks he's perfect until the founders say something different. Then he goes, well, that bit was wrong. But other than that, I'm, yeah. I'm golden, you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a funny power structure with all of them, isn't it? One thing that they do just sort of sweep under the carpet, though, is they go, oh, well, actually, closing the wormhole has helped us. Why? Shh. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, We'll 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 run with that. I think they sort of look at it because it's demoralised. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's almost. I think they're looking at it as a moral, as a demoralization. So they're looking at it as, as um, sort of that psych- other side of the wall, which is like the psychological yeah. side of it. I, I think it's kind of like, you know, I think they're trusting us to remember what uh, um, Ducat said at the end of the last series. So it's like they go, it's like Ducat was right. It did help us. I think we're then meant to remember that he said, and maybe even there was a longer bit of scene here and they maybe cut a few lines and it just, you know, it does make you, it, it sort uh, of feels like they're saying it's like he was right in saying that they would be demoralized like Kelly is saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it does make you wonder though. Like I've not really thought about this before, but you know, at the end of this episode, spoilers, Cisco reopens the wormhole. And it makes you wonder if Starfleet sort of pulled him in and went, right, so it got closed, meaning our enemy that we're at war with couldn't get any reinforcements ever, and you've reopened Opened it. it. Like, oh, oh, well done. Thank you. Now go back to the station. Oh, what a good yeah. job. Now, go. Uh, I think you're better off at your dad's. Go things in there were a couple of sacks of clams. Yeah, like well, now. I'll, I'll save it. But I sort of want to get into this with <laughs> the way Starfleet treat the Bajorans while Cisco's away. But well, that's more part two, right? Because I think that links into what you're saying. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. So back to Cisco then. So we find out he has this vision and he sees this woman's face. And Jake conveniently has seen a photograph of this woman fairly recently while he was clearing out his granddad's stuff, which, you know, fair enough. And I do like Brock Peters, he's acting when he's like, oh, where did you get this? No, no, she's no one, okay? Never never ask me about her again, ever. He is wonderful in this episode, like in this two-parter. I just love the fact that straight from the beginning, he's doing his whole shim-sham about like, uh, hey, you need to try this dish, and if it's good enough for her, it's good enough for you. And it's like, it's just lovely. Yeah, he's great. And it also kind of echoes very well in the second part when he's distracting, he's going, he's like, Oh, the today's special is the clam chowder. No, no, sorry, that was yesterday. It's actually, you know, it's it sort of sets it up nicely. But I just, I whenever he's doing that, it's just the family dynamic between those three generations of oh. Cisco is beautiful every time. Yeah, it's yeah. Nice. yeah. It, it feels like a real family. And it's like, yeah, if I may, like is... I, I feel a bit odd us three white guys talking about this, but it's like there are a lot of bad stereotypes of black families and uh, black single mm-hmm. par- single male parents being kind of a abandoning their kids there is an awful stereotype about that so to show a three generation strong male lineage where they are so close i think kind of breaks down those kind of bad stereotypes so i think it's just it was kind of important but it was so lightly done they don't throw it shove, shove it down your throat it's it, just yeah it's, not, it's yeah it's not thrown down shoved down your throat it's not yeah. banging your face it just happens and it's yeah, this is what it is. <laughs> just RTD recently yeah. said about Doctor Who, it's like he goes, like, just putting in a trans character just as uh, Donna's daughter. You don't need to sign post, you don't need to do it much. Just having it there normalizes it. And if you normalize it, just in, you know, the kids watching it now will just grow up going, oh, yeah, that's just normal as it is. And I think that's what Star Trek did so well here with, with that family. Yeah, it did. And it did it to the extent that you didn't realize it was anything unusual for TV at the time, yeah. but it, it 
historically we've we've seen that it was you know it was it, yeah it's quite weird from 2024 eyes to say the fact that we've got a scene with three members of a family and none of them are white was progressive but it was at the time you know yeah. and that that's how much the world's changed you know and it almost seems weird to say that it's progressive that it was three men but three black men in, like who are like the two of them are single male parents that yeah it's kind of important to the kind of uh, i'd say bad stereotypes of the past well we find out why joseph was a, a single parent yeah. which was he unknowingly got married to a bajoran god and <laughs> then she left him when so pre, what we're presuming happened here and, well, and it's sort of confirmed at the that, end is, is that she's possessed it an earth woman. yeah can i also say come on look i get it i get why he's kind of hurt she was like yeah she fell in, he like fell in love with her then she suddenly changed to being a different person she was very hurt but still though you've boffed a god you're gonna tell someone aren't you it's like hey, hey well, he didn't god. Know. i got he didn't know him now now he knows now he knows now he now he can start bragging about it. <laughs> yeah they're going it's like you know, and by the way, once I fucked a god, I just no, asked you what the it, specials are. Up, um, I just asked what the specials are, man. He's got to come up, come to Cisco's the god destroyer. Yeah, <laughs> just got yeah that that photo that he was like, no, never speak of it again. That's getting framed, and it's going <laughs> up on the. And and I've seen everything. Sorry, I know that's that's uh, Patrick Stewart's, but come on. <laughs> but yeah, she she buggered off to Australia and then she died basically. And we do yeah. learn though that he wasn't a single father for too long. He met someone else yeah. who Cisco yeah. believed to be his mother, and um... yeah, he's been brought by another woman, which is fair. Yeah, and he's been that young enough that he hasn't remembered his. He, yeah, absolutely. Before. And you, um, can, you can even say that's kind of progressive just to like, you know, um, talk about adoption, talking about kind of someone who is, you know, Cisco's whole arc really in the end is about kind of like his uh, birth parents versus the parents who raised him. And it's like he is part wormhole alien at the end of the day. And this, uh, it, it doesn't make anyone lesser for it. I, I think. But, no, that's it. it. Like you have really that make... bit where. It's like this with the Cisco because we've, we've established that. The wormhole aliens, the Bajoran gods, however you want to look at them, see time differently. And they've actually gone out of the way to make sure that Cisco is conceived. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of like... I know, they, it's to know that if, he, if he's conceived, he's going to be in the place he needs to be at, later on. But they actually go out of the way to make sure that, yes, he will be... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say also, it's like, I mean, something I always loved about uh, Superman, I know it's going off on tangent, but I always loved the fact that he was raised by the parents who, who raised him, but he also had respect for his birth parents because he gets, like, uh, drowned through the crystals and everything, yeah. and he gets kind of, uh, like, it doesn't lessen anyone in that equation, whereas the new version, like Man of Steel, the thing which always annoyed me was because he sort of, like, the second that his birth dad turns up, he basically just goes, yeah, well, I can let my dad die. It's sort of like, it like he turns his back on his birth parents the second that his uh, original parents kind of come into the story. Yeah, and the whole whereas, thing about Superman is Superman always had mum and dad, and they raised him, and then he had mother and father. And they were exactly. his parents. <laughs> and he loved them all. And it, it didn't yeah. have to be any different. different, 
differentiation. Yeah. But anyway, it's like in this, I, I like the fact that it's like when Cisco finds out about his birth mum, he kind of honors that while still honoring his mum who raised him. And I just think that's yeah, that's like a nice way of doing it, you know, if they can do it. Yeah, like he says, I loved Mama and nothing would have changed it. And and we find out it was Joseph's decision not to tell him because he says, yeah, that's exactly what she said. So she obviously didn't have a problem with him knowing either. And it, it was Joseph who didn't want Cisco to know about Sarah. Because um, I think there are some earlier, less well-told versions of this story where it's like, uh, the, you know, in some literature when the birth parents turn up or some TV shows, when the birth parents turn up, they're kind of like, oh, well, you know, I, I've learned I've got birth parents. They're more important than, than these people. Yeah. Raised me. And I, I think this, this is a more deftly told version of it. Definitely. Um, so back on the station then. Now, there's a bit with Worf that I really enjoy this just because it's so it's sort of, signifies the way Klingons are with each other. Like, Worf's there on the holodeck, uh, the suite, sorry, doing his battle-left exercises. And Martok just comes in and goes, defend yourself, Worf! <laughs> and starts attacking. And it, so that's like the equivalent of where you go in pub and your mate's there and you go, you all right, mate? And, but the Klingon version of that is just Give him a little yourself. heads up and swing at him straight away. Because, like... because, like, I think if this was any in any public forum, uh, Martok could not be seen to lose to a subordinate. Whereas, like, they are no, so like, they're blood, yeah. their family. They can have a tussle, and Wolf can win. <coughs> Behind closed doors, that's fine. That's honourable still. Whereas, like, he couldn't allow that. To, he couldn't allow that to happen in the open. Because yeah, then which, uh, yeah. Would outrank him in the family. Again, I don't think it's signposted, but I feel like it's it's there. You know, I think the writers did intend this. So I think that's yeah, really nice. I think yeah, so yeah. definitely. Um, and we find out then. So what's got to happen is Worf to get Judzia into Stovacor has got to win a battle in her name, which gives us a nice little subplot where Martok and Worf and Bashir and O'Brien and Quark can go off and blow shit up. Yeah. While we've got everything else going on. And can I ask, is it just me who thinks that, like, when uh, Quark comes in and goes, like, uh, God, I'm just saying they can vary up the menu a bit. It's like, is Guck all they can serve? It's like, I bet I bet he's right that there was a few other clings who were going, it's like, yeah, actually, if you you try and friendly tube grubs, pretty fucking tasty, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, could I could imagine the Klingons actually liking tube grubs. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I bet they yeah. would. I, I, I think I think Quark's actually on something on this one point. <laughs> and meanwhile, Kira's got there's this business with it like it escalates, doesn't it, as it goes. Well, it along escalates it. into the second episode, doesn't and it? And it, it starts with we're gonna station Romulans on the station, mm. which we talked about last season, like we said that'd be a good idea. The the problem is it's never consistent. We've had a Romulan before it was on who came with the Defiant and then disappeared and uh, now we've got okay. We're going to have a, a Romulan station here. So oh, wait a minute, but we also want to put a garrison on the station, and we yeah. we want to put a hospital on this planet. But, yeah, we know you've got a moon there. Can we establish a, a, a lifeless moon? Can we establish a hospital? The well, troops going yeah. back from the front line, which is perfectly reasonable. If you're yep. establishing a moon for the hospital and it makes a lot of sense. No, that's totally I mean, not me, what they're doing. Let me kind of throw in as well. Like, I know we're going to get into the airstream of it all in a minute, but 
wouldn't you have rather like just just throwing out there and this is no insult to um nicole de uh because she was wonderful and everything but would you rather have all the Esri Dax stuff, which seems kind of forced, you kind of got to get to know in one season when you're kind of wrapping everything else mm-hmm. up? Would you rather that, or would you rather have had a Romulan subplot where they're on the station and you've got to work with your enemies? I think that would be more interesting myself. Yeah, I think that would yeah. have been... In, yeah. It, if we're talking I mean, about like footage on the on the episodes, and then it ties more into the plot, whereas I mean, I think so much to introduce Esri here, yeah, which just... You have to, kind of there's enough. a lot... There's a lot of episodes given over to Esri early on. Yeah. She's obviously to make her an established character in a long running series in its final season. And that's yeah, exactly. the thing. And it has to be front loaded in the season because yeah. we need the second half of the season for the arc plot. Um, so, and, you know, spoilers for what's coming up on the podcast, we are jumping over the Esri episodes. <laughs> Uh, the Esri episodes that have no bearing on the on the Dominion War, um, but yeah, uh, well, that gets us nicely to anyway the introduction well, of Esri. We and we meet Esri taking over from Dax. There you go. Who's that hunk in the middle of the other Daxes? I know some of us uh, did have have had the Daxes hanging off us. Um. And I almost yeah, said something so, really rude for a second there, but I'm not going to. I just so we get Cisco's going to begin his quest. Joseph and Jake are going with him, and just as they're about to leave, New Dax turns up, and that seizes out of the episode. And I do, I do think Nicole DeBerg's great. I think the way yeah, the yeah. character's written is good. Yeah, um, I like the new spin on it that Dax was all always had a very cool head and was very. She was probably, um, when I say Dax, I mean Judzia Dax. I'll start differentiating. But she was probably one of the characters who was most at peace with themselves and happy in their own skin and knew exactly who they were and had no qualms about it. Whereas Esri is the opposite of that. And we find out reasons for that straight away that she wasn't meant to be joined and she's been given like it sounds like they basically just give her a pamphlet and said, "Right, well, you're a tr- well, you're a yeah. joint well, trill now." Like it, it's not even being a trill doctor who's performed the surgery, and it's not like, yeah. "Look, the symbiote's gonna die. You're a trill. You're the only trill on board. There's no option." This is mm. what happens when you get joined, from what I've read, until it goes, yeah, you'll remember what the others did. <laughs> but she I does mean, say, I, I though, that he... she went to the Trill homeworld, and they yeah. said, well, didn't the Guardians help you? And it sounds like they just sort of went, well, it's too late now. We usually yeah. do years getting you ready for it, but and nope, the... you're on your own. And they've, yeah, well, that's kind of weird, like, because they've suggested before that if something abnormal like this happens, that they would stay on the world, home world to, like, you know, basically stirring the goo while they learn how to be who they are. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, like, it, it's a bit fudging. It's like they've got to fudge the idea of, like, previously it's been really clear you're not meant to reassociate with previous lives. Whereas now she says in an, an episode coming up, it's like, oh, well, well, that's not what they meant. It's like, it is. Like, it was clearly what they meant in previous yeah. episodes when they've said that. And now you want to retcon it because you want to have this new version of Daxon, which is fine. I think they've done the best version with it they could do. The only thing I think they really uh, dropped the ball on a little bit is they sort of bring her in as a, uh, being a counsellor as a sort of like almost a punchline to the fact that she's so scatty because this has been thrust upon her. Whereas they never mm. really do anything with her being a counsellor. It's like, if you're going to have that, why not 
explain a little bit and we'll get to it with nog and his ptsd but that that's yeah that one episode yeah I, I think it would be nice then, if it almost like she healed herself through that. Yeah, yeah, but it's that yeah. thing again, isn't it? It's like you've got the you've got a lot of story that has to be told, like we've been working mm. on for six seasons in your final season, and you're trying to bring in a new character as well. Well, that's and the There's a limit to what you can do. Yeah, 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 as I say, they've done the best version they could. I, do, yeah. I, I think that's just one of the elements which kind of gets lost in the mix. But that's the thing, it makes you wonder, did somebody mandate that you must include the next version of Dax? Because you don't necessarily have to yeah, do that. Yeah, like, like, it makes you wonder if the studio bosses went, no, we want Dax back, but we can't. Well, maybe. I, I think it's... And it, it, it it does, yeah. We all know that we're saying, oh, what's his name? Bert... Berman? Burnham. It was sort of like pull the plug on Jadzia. Allegedly. Well, that's why Allegedly. I think, I, I, I think and, piecing everything together. And I think, and it's probably you've got somebody at the stu- high up at the studio has gone, look, we, we love Dax, we want Dax back. But I we killed think that, it, sort it. <laughs> I think it was more a kind of case that blended with like the way the studio, because the studio didn't really do anything for her. Berman... I think by all accounts, it sounds like he was kind of instrumental in her going. And like they just didn't want to pay her the same as they were paying everyone else. Yeah. They treated like shit. So they've written her out, but I think they still want to use Dex all over. I think Berman still wants to use Dex. I think mm. he just thought, oh, fuck it, she's replaceable, which is not true at all. And unfortunately, you know, Nicole DeBerg gets kind of like uh, fucked around in the mix of that. But I, again, she's yeah. done the best job she can do. The writer's done the best job they can do. It's just, yeah. it was a situation that never should have been. Or if they were going to kill her off, just kill her off. Don't include that character. There's no yeah, Like you yeah. said, we could have had an interesting thing where Romulans did establish on the base for yeah. the, on DS9 for the whole season. And yeah, you that, open up that, so much dynamic. more space. There's so much more you've got to wrap up. Why chuck in something new that? Yeah, just, you know, you've got to try and do a full character arc with a new character from start to finish, and it's not going to carry the weight no. that you have for these characters that we've spent seven years with by the time we get to it. But anyway, um, so you do get some fun stuff with her, like she doesn't like Raktagino, and it's like, you know, the, yeah, I like how she just automatically ordered it without thinking. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it, why have I ordered that? I keep doing these sort of things. It's like, yeah. Jake, have you got taller? Oh, no, I've got shorter. That, that's quite nice. It's, it's, yeah, you, that's a good moment. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and then when they get to this planet, you've got this bit where Cisco's sort of trekking through the desert. Oh, yeah. Before we get into that, just, I, kind of just because it echoes that earlier scene in the first part with the uh, guys going off the mission with Jets here, you've got them coming together and go, it's like, you're going, we're coming with you. Again, it kind of just echoes that thing of yeah. it being all about this is why they care about each other. This is why it'll be so important later. Sorry, uh, as you were, mate. And it's good, like, you know, when you get Cisco calling her old man, like, it, it's that. I'll accept you as Dax, yes. even though. And that yeah. points him on. That is a nice idea yeah. to point him on the fact that Dax is back in some form. Yeah, it gives him yeah. it gives him and, a lift had, when he needs it. But this yeah, is. What he had been saying in the first episode, I wish Jazzy was here. She always gave me good advice yeah. in situations. So and he's really, like you say, he's buoyed up because Dax is back. It might not yeah. be Jazzy, but he trusts Dax. And it's it's. A... Oh, we lost you. Jim's buffering. 
And that isn't a metaphor for anyone listening on audio. <laughs> He's not buffering himself, just the internet. <coughs> no, I think we might have lost him. Uh, uh, that, well, yeah. Okay, well, while we're waiting, so I, I forgot where I was going to go with that one. But yeah, it's a. Well, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was off to say because he was in mid speech. We were saying how, how, well, I was saying how Cisco is buoyed up because he trusts Dax. It doesn't matter that he doesn't know who Ezra is. This is the third Dax he's, that he's known and he is always trusted. Yeah, and it's like it. They did weave in very nicely that uh, Dex being there leads into the conclusion of like when he is there on the planet. I don't know. I'm kind of skipping ahead a bit, but it's when it's because Dex says like she's the one who's uh, saying to him, "Oh, have we lost you, Elliot." Uh, it's, it's streaming. Mine's gone. No, it's back. <laughs> I was going to say, you you froze for just a second there. But yeah, it's like, I mean, yeah, Dax does lead into the final moment when he's kind of like making the moment with, you know, making his decision with the orb. Yeah, It is nice, like a nice moment. She's the one who kind of like holds hand and goes like, no, you did all this. Jatsia did all this just to, to get to this moment. And it's also kind of nice that it's like he gets his own orb. So we haven't really talked about that yeah, either. Like, the orb the I, I, like, I, I like the part where Esri's, when they are going through a desert and Esri's like, Trudging along behind him and struggling to keep up, and she goes, "No, we might need to take a break." Your dad and all that is behind him, and she shouts, "You okay, Dad?" Yeah, carry on, son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we also check in because we didn't really mention it? I also love the fact that this is what Star Trek allows you to, because it's so far in the future. When uh, Cisco gets stabbed, which kind of leads him into the visions and stuff, it's really nice that it's like, because we're in Star Trek times, he can just get stabbed like really quite fatally. And then because the just dermal regenerators, he can be okay in the next scene. It allows you to kind of have that slight jeopardy, yeah, but you yeah. know, it's, you can just get on with the episode. Well, Whereas in, in, other, in other films and stuff, you have people getting stabbed up. It's like, it's set now and they just got a couple of bandages on and they're just running through anywhere. It, it's that thing. You do know that Cisco is going to be all right at, at this. That is not going to be injured. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, he's injured, but you know, he's going to get better. The power of being set in the future, you get away with stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> I also think it's like because I mentioned this before, it's kind of interesting that uh um Starfleet are very I, I think it's it's Cisco can just get away with anything, but I love the fact that it's like when they come to uh stuff like uh going off with some comp badges and Starfleet regulation uniforms, he's just handing out to his family. <laughs> well well, didn't you find, think that was weird that um they had the exact size for them, but in different command ranks. So, uh, like, Cisco's obviously this captain one. Yeah. Esri has this uh, blue one for medical, but JK gets the science and uh, he gives the commander's one to his dad. <laughs> he made his dad the commander. I'm saying it's replicators. you got to have some fun with this. You know, this, yeah. the, the future technology excuses so many. I others. just thought it was a nice little touch that he's gone to the effort that, yeah. I might not be able to make him anything really, but I'm going to admit my dad is the commander. <laughs> also, the other thing, I didn't really get around to looking it up, but um, there is a kind of parallel here between uh, the famous Buffy episode where she ends up in the asylum. And at the end of the episode, you don't know if like the real world's the real world or her and the asylum's real world. Well, I don't know is... which came first and it might just be parallel writing, but um, like, it's kind of this interesting. Is... Like this is playing back to the what we saw in um, Far Beyond the Stars. In yeah, the but, I, but in Far Beyond the Stars, 
it doesn't feel like that Buffy episode. It feels like its own thing where he goes into this other world. And, and it is, of course, it is playing with like which, which one's the real world. However, in this one, it seems like a direct parallel to that Buffy episode. And again, I don't know which came happened first. I'm sure it's just parallel thinking. No one's copying anyone, but it kind of feels very homage-like to each other. I lost you there. I was just saying about like it feels like a parallel to each other. Yeah, they do seem very similar, but I don't think we're copying. And I think it's yeah. very clever here, this this part in the asylum. And I thought it was really clever in Beyond the Stars where it's um, – and he's writing about DS9 and he's writing it as a script. <laughs> and, oh, and we no, – it's obvious that this is the real thing. You write in a script. <laughs> and also, you know, it's like the hunky, uh, uh, like Damar in real life. I, I met him like a few years later, but geez, he was quite a cat man, uh, Damar in real life. I'm going to forget his name now. Um, what's the name of the actor? Uh, it's Casey Briggs. Casey Briggs. Casey Briggs. God, man, did that look guy look handsome. Like, not saying he doesn't now or anything, but just, yeah, particularly. <laughs> yeah, oh, thank you, uh, Facebook user uh, Casey Biggs, yeah. yeah I, I was about to say, Facebook user, you are right about uh, the Pan Race hijacking his visions because they have hijacked his visions. Yeah. That's why he's in the mental asylum. Oh, and Casey Biggs married to Balana. I didn't know that. Thank you very much. All right. Nice. Um... Yeah, so yeah, we, we've opened the orb, and yeah, I, I, I love the kind of like uh, it is that setup of like uh, it does feel like where unfortunately, um, oh god, I'm gonna forget like Far Beyond the Stars character version of Cisco. Well, it was it the same, it, it's uh, that's where we last saw the fab, I mean, uh, Ben Bennett. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, it feels like it. He would have probably ended up getting locked in a mental asylum like this, treated like absolute crap. But he just he never lets go of the vision, which is what's so lovely, you know. It's yeah. Like, like, Cisco, no matter which world he's in, no matter which person he's being, he's always true to himself. But he has that moment of doubt, and it is really kind of like this Jesus in the desert, you know. It's like it's it's that moment of like the last temptation. And it's only because his friend holds his arm and goes, no, we fought for this. We've all done this for a reason. You've got to see it through. And that empowers him. And that does give like the best um, launch for this version of Dax, even if you haven't got enough time to really realize her in the way you want to. Hey, welcome back, Jim. Hello, that was me, Facebook user, who was giving you... Oh, was ah. That might be how I'd have to do the rest of the episode because I don't know <laughs> what's going on with my internet, but... How people um, hide the scenes even then? Oh, no, you're not with Virgin, are you, anymore? No, no. Um, See, this is what our captain does. Even when he can't come on screen, he's still still steering the ship. But no, I think you guys have been, been covered. The only thing I was going to say is about um, where... You get that scene at first in the desert and Cisco's sort of barreling ahead and Dax has to go, you, you know your dad's knackered and he's trying to keep up with it. And Cisco's just like, hey, fine, yeah. We've got more things to do. We, we, I did actually mention it and he yeah. shouts back to his dad, yeah, are you, you okay, dad? Just, and he goes, yes, son, carry on. Yeah, <laughs> but he's nearly falling over while he's yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah, but he knows how important it is to Ben. <laughs> That's the, the, only thing I will, the only thing I will say is it's kind of like brushed over when you do have the orb experience and he, he meets his mum and it's kind of like um hey son yeah yeah I did do that oh well he's going yeah but you've robbed her life 
what are you gonna do and that's about it it's, like, yeah. it's almost like that seems a little bit rushed to me was it just me feeling that? now my question is when we get that scene with benny russell again russell that was it do you read that as the original vision was the prophets and the parades have hijacked it as i suggested or could it be that the whole vision was from the parades designed to lock benny up and I think you, this I, is where he's at i think when you look at this because this is obviously the parades to hijacking his visions to stop him opening the orbs mm. so that makes you think that the whole thing in Fabio, the stars was probably the parades attacking him yeah i I wonder. I think that in the uh, world of the orbs, it's almost like they both exist. It's uh, I, I compared it to the Last Temptation of Christ a minute ago, and I think that's it. I think there's like the devil is there in the parades that they're tempting him, but like the prophets can still talk to him, and his friends can talk to him and bolster him. So it's like mm. I think it's they're they're in a kind of like it's almost like they're locked. That's why his hands locked there. It's only when Ezra tilts the scales towards positivity towards the light that he kind of breaks out yeah so i think they're and both it, there I, I think it is both in in both situations it's a bold bit of writing as well to go let's revisit an episode that is regarded as one of our very 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 best episodes yeah. and even though it's dripping with the the law of the prophets and everything it is more or less a standalone episode and the fact that th they're brave enough to go let's revisit that and add a little coder onto it and there it works and it doesn't devalue what's gone before and yet it works perfectly within this episode and one thing you were saying there, Squee, while I was having technical difficulties about the, the Buffy episode and it finishes, mm. the Buffy episode finishes in the world that has the, the asylum and it finishes with them saying, oh, we've lost her again. She's gone back to the fantasy. And it was originally considered by the writers to finish all of Deep Space Nine with Benny Russell typing up the yeah, ending. Yeah, I've heard that. Oh, that would be beautiful. And but they, I, I they it, said they didn't want to do it because that would, it would leave you coming out of the whole show going, well, are we supposed to think it didn't happen? Or yeah, it, like <laughs> it, it's a nice idea, but in retrospect, because of the wider franchise, if it was just one show, DS Nine, and there was mm. no Star Trek franchise. Okay, if you were to do that, but yeah, when, you're you... part of a, when you're part of a huge franchise where this was the third scene, third day iteration, but we already had the fourth running, and by the time it ended, they were planning the fifth. Yeah, so to sort of go, no, this one didn't really happen. It's not like, well, what about the rest of them then? I think it leaves ambiguity. And for me, I, I think, and again, this is just my sort of like, um, I think it's as valid as any answer to it, basically. But I think like Benny Russell and all that, that exists in another dimension. It's like, because like these wormhole prophets, they're beyond time, they're beyond space. Why not beyond, uh, beyond reality? So, you know, there's a reality where, 
that was his existence was as Benjamin Russell. I think he kind of crosses over to himself in another dimension. Oh, and I, I, I kind of like the idea that it all, it all exists, which is maybe a new way of thinking like now multiverse yeah. everywhere. But I, I feel like that connects with oh, there's no, existence. There's no reason not to, enough, but, I've but... Never, I don't get that from it. Uh, well, yeah, no, I've never <laughs> thought of Benny Russell as existing. I've always thought of it as a a, a, a metaphor that the prophets or the parades or both present yeah. him with. I think I think when you look at it now, like season six, season seven, season seven especially where the parades are coming have come to a forefront as the sort of bad side of the prophets. So you've got they've got an equal bad side. It makes a lot of sense that it was actually them who had a lot to do with him having them visions in Far Beyond the Stars, trying to drop him and, and break him from out of the prophet prophecy that the, the prophets mm. need him to fulfil. I mean, for me, without, when... without Cisco, the power race would win. I think yeah. for me, it's the fact that there's like, um, you know, he is now a wormhole alien. He is has now got the ability to live in a non-linear way. So why not have a kind of past life or a life in another dimension? Like it's, so it, it feels like it could connect in. Again, it's just my theory. It's, yeah. No, exactly. And the, there's enough there for you to run with it. Absolutely. Um, we've not talked a lot about the Kira story, well, but to be honest, still, I don't think there's a lot of meat on the bones well, for that. Really. We did stick so. to where we were and wait for you to get back in a way so that we could yeah. talk about the other I, I, I wonder, two other stories. The I mean, one thing the, I wanted to... Sorry, go on, Jim. Go on. No, no, I, I was just going to say, with, with the Kira one, it's... It's good stuff, and it's, you know, a bit of a showcase for the Kira character, but... There's not a huge amount to it. It's just basically escalates and escalates and becomes this game of bluff between Kira and the Romulan, and eventually well, the Romulan well, blinks. Yeah, well, the, rea the reality is like Kira knows that she cannot beat the Romulans in a fight, that she's got however many yeah. ships, just one warbird, Romulan warbird, will wipe them out like that no it won't it won't even be a battle it'll be target practice for the romulans yeah and kira's aware of this but there's the bigger political part mm -hmm. of it where will the romulans attack the bajorans who the federation don't want to be be attacked they're not part of the federation but the federation are the Federation going to allow this to happen? And are yeah. the Federation going to allow the Romulans to establish a military base by the wormhole when it or DS9? <laughs> well, the thing is, the thing which kind of like doesn't sit well with me with this plot is I mean, I think it's a wonderful showcase for Kira, and I think it really shows her like you know, she's always been a ballsy guerrilla fighter, and that shows her, but Right from the beginning, for some reason, and it's not really explained or touched on why uh, Admiral Ross is on the uh, Romulan side. Basically, that's He's... sovereign. So let let me let me just go through it a bit. But like, you've got sovereign Bajoran territory. The Bajorans have said, right, if you're arming this planet, we don't want you on it. Like this moon, that's their right. And it's like it doesn't fit. So I would have sort of liked what I was kind of alluding to earlier was I would have liked a bit of kind of establishment of like maybe even them saying like Anmoros could have just done it in one line, just saying it's like talking to one of the other Federation um, members on Deep Space Nine, just saying it's like, well, why are you being so hardcore on this? Well, 
to be honest with you, the Federation's a bit unhappy with how uh, much in bed with the Bajorans that, that Cisco's been. As much as yeah. we support them, we want like you know to to include the Romulans because they're our new ally and they're really important to the war effort. It just doesn't seem to be very well explored why he's so on their side. Whereas surely, naturally, wouldn't the Federation be in the Bajoran no, side? It is explained, and it's basically explained that the cat of Ford not to have the Romulans with them in the war. So they have to. So it's and it says, very lightly got it, into. It isn't. It says I've made. The, I've, I've done the diplomatic thing, and he and he explains to Kira. He goes, look, I've sent off my diplomatic. Um, we sent off diplomatic um, protests. The Romulans have replied with a protest, and he goes, this will go on for several for months with this. The Romulans will eventually pull back the weapons. But we can't afford to get involved military-wise because we need the Romulans to help us in this war. I, I, I and he says I, it. I, no, <laughs> no, but he doesn't. Episode. He doesn't cover at all why, like the Bajorans can't, as a sovereign nation, protect their own land. Like I think I don't they think that they have got the right to protect their own land. The problem is that they haven't got the firepower to protect the old land against the Romulans. That's what, the what issue. I'm saying is, though, he's and the, and the Federation he's... won't back them up. That's well, it's, what the yeah, issue but, is. but there's a difference between not backing them up and basically being up the arse of the Romulans, which he is. He sat next to her, basically backing every place he makes right until the end. I think that isn't that doesn't work well with the Federation. Mm. I can see both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I appreciate your argument, Elliot. You know, it's I, I, I think both are valid. I just, uh, it just doesn't like any other episode of Star Trek. The Federation would not just go. Well, yeah, but we like the Romulans, so we're screwed. You know, it, it feels he like he's saying he likes most... the Romulans. What he's saying is that the Federation needs the Romulans in the war because well, the Federation was getting its ass absolutely annihilated, and we're going to lose the war until the Romulans joined. It can't afford for the Romulans to. And ultimately, I mean, he that, doesn't he allow the Romulans to destroy the Bajorans. Only once Kira's put her balls online, it's just... Uh, yeah, I, I think he thought Kira had backed down as well, but... Um... It's, what he wanted was to solve it the diplomatic way, which he said will take months, yeah. but eventually yeah. the Romulans will withdraw. Just let them do gonna, it. But it's going to take months. But Kira, being Kira, went through it, and he was thinking, no... She's going to back down once the, the warbirds arrive because he know he knows as well as she does that their ships are not adequate in any way, shape, yeah. or form to deal with the Romulans. They haven't got the firepower. He can't provide firepower for diplomatic reasons. His hands are tied. I, I but guess eventually, eventually he does go. Look, Kiri isn't backing down. I am not going to allow you to attack them. I will remove you if you don't, if you think about this. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's just he gives that thing about, like, you know, the why the Bashorans are so militarily important, and I appreciate that. But it's like he doesn't seem to struggle with it. He just seems to go straight to the wrong. I, I just, I, I think it would have been nice to see him trying to do more, trying to kind of make it work, whereas he's just going, it's like, yeah, well, the Bashorans will back down eventually. It just seems very unstaffly to me. I don't know. I would like to have seen some more struggle. Yeah, but that, like I said, the point is that it's all diplomatic, and we've we've dealt with that yeah. all last season. Why they need the Romulans? So in a way, his hands are tied that he's having to almost fawn over them, where normally he would. Yeah, you've done that very nicely in other episodes where Picard struggled with that, and he knows he has to do stuff 
for the good of the federation as a whole but he struggles with stuff and i don't feel like there was any struggles this it's just maybe it was because it was a a b plot and it was just a bit well this yeah. is almost a c plot <laughs> yeah, then, I, I, yeah i feel like it could have done with another scene really to punch it up and to really possibly but i didn't think it needed it i got why it was doing meanwhile fair. with Worf and martok and everything we get a really nice scene there where they do confront Worf about his attitude and he, he admits to being almost jealous that Jadzia had these relationships with other people. But then he finishes that scene by saying that he's glad they're there, which I think is a that's a big Beautiful. thing for Worf to, to and, say. And this one actually, well, the, it's, this it's, one is where well, less is more is great because it's like Martin only has to say it's like, hey, you're being a dick. And basically that's it. He, he says like yeah. a couple of lines, but that's all Klingons need. Yeah. But like this whole thing starts with him turning around and going, you, sh- you should be thanking me for letting you be here. And no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I like, yeah, I, I like, I, I always like it when they allow Worf. He doesn't sell out being a warrior at all, but he kind of admits to kind of frailty. He admits to kind of like, yeah. like it, it's almost like his battle between the, his human side and his, his well, Klingon side. Even though he's Klingon, he's raised by humans, and that comes out like in moments like One this, thing like. I did but notice. There's uh, also, I was about to say, there's a site, there's the, the thing about Worf that I've always thought why like, Worf's different to what you see a lot of other Klingons is because Worf was raised by humans. He's read what Klingons are like. Yeah. And he's developed how his personality should be from what he's read in books as opposed to yeah. growing up with other Klingons. And no, they're not really staunch. They have, they're really funny and the drink and the carry on. Jed Sears says that earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, I met some Klingons who were like, yeah, I laugh my ass off. Uh, but I, I also think it's almost like because he knows he has got this human side from how he was raised. He goes to the nth degree of Klingon, like, which is yeah. beyond what Klingon yeah. was right. Like, it's just the stereo, almost like the stereotype. <laughs> it's like, what yeah, he's read, he's just also what, yeah, he understands of it. Yeah. It's, it's almost like he's, a te- he, it's almost like he feels dishonored because he was raised by humans. <laughs> that he's gone to the, yeah. uh, the level to be the ultimate Klingon. <laughs> I am so- going to be exactly what Klingons are meant to be. <laughs> So Willow's saying she's a Klingon warrior. I'm sorry. She just she's mm. got a thing about this. I don't know. One thing I did notice is when you they first fire the weapon, um, Martok says, like, fire on Worf's command, and they make a big thing about Worf giving the order because it's him that's going to win the battle and get Jadzia into Stovacar. Then it doesn't work, and they have to realign it and fire again. And Martok gives the order to fire when it actually works, which <laughs> I felt a bit... A bit bad on Worf there. And yeah. then Worf sort of jumps in and goes, get us out full impulse. He's like, does that really count as winning the battle, well, Worf? Ordering isn't that the, the escape? Isn't Dude. that playing the theme, though? The whole idea that it's like, it's not just about him. It's, it's not just him, him and his, his yeah, all, all, of, all of Jadzia's friends and all of his friends working together to get Jadzia and stuff. Yeah. But so I like, can imagine. I'm with you on this scene now. It works. Yeah. It can't be just Worf. It needed all of them to do a, something. Now, so it makes a difference to his outlook. I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Let's, and talk, about, let's talk about Judzia, though. So Judzia is happy in Trill Heaven, which I imagine involves lots of shagging. 
and then all of a sudden, Worf wins a battle, and suddenly she's in bloody Stovokar no, with no, all these Klingon I, warriors. I'm and... going to disagree with you. I think being surrounded by a lot of Klingon warriors was right up Dax's alley. Like she was, maybe she was so. A good time drinking the blood wine. Like you know, they even say about quarks. They compare it to quarks. Goes like on a Friday night. It's like, uh, yeah, drinking and kind of like shouting. And it's like I think she was. She was down for that. Like when she chose to be House Martok, I think she was down for the Klingon way of life because it's like she is bawdy. She is kind of a yeah. warrior. She's very kind of physical in every sense. I ju- like, you know, yeah, you're right. Maybe I'm she just is projecting. <laughs> I would rather go to Trill Heaven than Klingon Heaven, but maybe Me Dax too. wouldn't. So, oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think Dax wouldn't. I would um, be more than happy it, uh, with Trill or Rise of Heaven would be and, ideal. And it has been well established that not just Jadzia, but we also have Curzon was heavily involved with the Klingons. True. That, the Dax Symbiont has a history of being heavily the involved with Klingon. certainly does, yeah. Of being involved with Klingon culture. Me, hand me my Horgon and send me to Rise of Heaven, I'd be happy, but not Dax. <laughs> she was yeah, a glorious warrior. Yeah. And we get yeah, like I, the... Sorry, Gong. Oh, just very quickly, I was just going to say, it's like, and I love the fact that they always showed her as a sexual person without making it kind of like icky and kind of like disempowering. It was always empowering her sexuality. She was always like, yes, we will drink, we will fuck, we will fight. You know, it's like it it was very Klingon. And that's how she was. It was great, yeah. And uh, just a shout out to like how well the episode is edited and handles the three plot strands. It's almost like... Um, I know George Lucas gets a lot of flack for his directing, particularly in later years, but like, if you look at something like the end of Return of the Jedi or even the end of The Phantom Menace, they're really well edited how they've got all these different plot strands going on and everybody, it all goes wrong for them at the same time. Then you get everybody comes back and well, wins at the same time and you well, get that in this. Well, this is all very much... Um... The the Romulans are about to to blow Kira out of the sky. They've, they're just gonna go. They're not yeah. even gonna slow down. <laughs> they're, they've sped up. They've got there faster than expected. They're not even gonna slow down through it. They're just gonna go straight through. You've got Warfink goes to fire to destroy this station, and it fails. And it's all while Cisco's struggling to open the orb. Yeah, as exactly. soon as he opens the orb, the look changes of the al- of the Alpha Quadrant. And how yeah. does everything come together? Every one of these things pays off because of their friends, because the people who are around. Yeah. Them. Like uh, uh, Kira may be doing this on her own, but she's emboldened by having uh, Odo there. But like, by having the person to, she I was about to say, this takes us back to what we said at the beginning. This is Odo and Kira being natural. They're a couple. You can see the couple, but there's no silly one-liners or anything. They're just a couple, and he's there supporting the love of his life. It works, and it works. This is a thing that uh, one of something I heard on a like a storytelling podcast was one of the ways you write a good couple is rather than trying to write all this romantic dialogue and whatnot, you have something, a common interest, you know, in this case, it's a battle situation, but it could be anything. 
you have something that they both care about and are both good at and you show them being good at that together and that's a good way of showing a bond between yeah. two characters and that's what they're doing here and this works much better than having them going wow what a kiss yeah yeah it's exactly like, it's like the whole thing where she's there going and he goes right i'll get ready to go and it's like you don't have to come and he goes yes i do yeah <laughs> it's important to you yes i am coming yeah, which is again, which which is the real theme of this whole episode. It's important. Uh, so I'm going to be there. With and, you. and the thing is, Odo consciously has made the choice that he wears Bajoran. He wears a Bajoran uniform. Mm-hmm. That's he, very true. He, he fit. We know he's not Bajoran. We know he's a changeling, but he he identifies as being from Bajor. Yeah, he's there. adopted. In Bajoran yeah. culture, at least. Yeah. Well, I don't know extent. if he's. I don't know if he can go culture because he's quite happy to go break up religious ceremonies. Well, and... True. <laughs> doesn't this doesn't this throw in the same thing though as we were saying earlier? It's like it's about he uh, includes his. He, it's not like he doesn't care about his original, like where he comes from. He's always trying to make peace with that, but his adoptive family matters to him. Like that's what's mm-hmm. important. Bajor gave him everything and that yeah. matters to him, but he will always serve the law first. Like that's yeah. just him. But I think just it, it doesn't outstrike the fact that he loves Bajor, that that's his yeah. home, you know. And and he's quite happy to go support this care is the love of his life. I will come support you. And you yeah. see it, and they look like a couple together, but there's none of the stupid, oh what a great kiss that was three months ago. And yeah, agreed. You don't need it. You see, what would be what what would be much more believable is if in six episodes time Odo said something to Kira along the lines of like that time you stared down that Romulan and you'd believe you know if he said that in a way that you know was kinda you could tell he were proud of her and impressed yeah. by her and yeah, you know, maybe it made him feel a bit sexy, who knows? Yeah. But you you could believe that as an interaction that they would reminisce about something like this. Yeah. Um, you know. Anyway, so Cisco, yeah, he meets Sarah, his mum, the the prophet, the wormholes reopened and Cisco's reinvigorated and the episode wraps up pretty quickly from there. Like we get way in the back of the station. Welcome back, everyone. Who's this? That's Dax. Let's go. <laughs> and that's it. But, but there's a lovely, like everyone's interactions. It's like there's people yeah. excited. And then there's Wolf going, it's like, it cannot be, which sets up him being hostile towards the new Dax. Yeah. Done. yeah. There's a there's a nice little uh, Yun and Demar moment in this episode. Mm. And it's when they're talking about what's happening at the shipyard. And it's like how the planning that they have to do enough massively wipe out the Alpha Quadrant. And Demar's there with his uh, new girlfriend that he's obviously picked up at some party the night yes. before. And she's there in the drinking together and he's having a laugh and showing off there. Yeah, this is where I were, baby. I'm head of the cat. I'm yeah. head of Cardassia. And Wayun comes in and goes, and he's introduced and he goes, You need to leave now. And Demar's sort of like, why? Because I need to talk to her, and if she doesn't leave, I'll have to kill her. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, oh, yeah, you better go now. <laughs> <laughs> and I just yeah. thought that was like, why is like, okay, you've done your bragging. 
I've let it go, but now we've got stuff to do. She goes, yeah. <laughs> and I'm in charge, and I'm telling you what will happen if she doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it's a, overall, it's a very strong opener to the season, it, I feel. Um, it is yeah. one of those, and I found that watching the first episode, I know there's a lot of character-driven, and if we look at, back at like the first episodes of the new seasons, maybe not so much season two, season three, but we've had fights and big battles and fast episodes. And the first episode of this feels quite slow when you're watching it. Yeah, it does. There's no, it is all character. There's no action. It's very brave. But you watch the two of them together and suddenly you've got this great TV movie. Yeah. yeah, it's so pacey. It, it, it's not about the space battles. It's about the human drama. Yeah. About how that informs everything else that happens. It's just such a brave and great series opener, the two-part, like you say, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work as... If you just watch the first episode on its own, and I, I can't remember. I think I actually watched them probably as two episodes because I didn't watch all of DS9 when it first came out. And I used to watch them on the on the VHSs, which was well, two episodes together. That was the earliest I could yeah, get them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they were actually on video first, maybe. I can't well, DS9 that. went to... Um, did we get all DS9 on BBC2? We did, didn't we? Eventually. Eventually. It, it showed yeah. on Sky first. It showed on Sky yeah. first, which was like the first one. Oh, no, boy. Yeah, it was the first yes, one that showed on Sky first. What, what Sky did was... They waited until they could show it all in one go. So they they usually it didn't start until after the mid season hiatus yeah, in America. So the the VHSs of the early parts of the season were out months before Sky started showing it. And then they'd catch up and line up with each other by the end of the season. So the VHSs the turnover on them was unbelievable, really. Like, I don't know what night DS9 aired in America, but every two weeks they would bring out the VHSs over here. And it was literally, if it aired on the Thursday, we got it the next Tuesday on VHS, yeah, it was really something quick. like and, and that. It was, to it, the point, it was to the point, like <laughs> you're saying, that uh, if there was a break, then we'd have to wait two weeks for the next yeah. Yeah, I think DS9 is the first one that they picked on up on. Let's get these straight out on video. I, I think also because there's can, a delay in when they can see them in the countries that people exactly. will buy them. And, and I think and you could trace really that to the. It. I think you could trace that to the rise of the internet and file sharing as well. And they thought. Um, we need to get these out because people are discovering other ways of accessing these programs now. Yeah, I think it was like satellite, yeah. satellite TV was starting to pop up. And... Yeah, and I mean, I didn't have the technology to download an episode of DS9, uh, but some people did, is what yeah. I will say. But um, So yeah, say... they offset that by having the VHSs right, out quickly. But, and I mean, I don't want to brag, but like, you know, uh, WH Smith's in Rumsey, where I got the, um, like this large video case here, uh, from they used to, because I knew the staff there. If, if it came on like over the weekend, the, the VHS, the sorry, v, yeah, VHS would come in. Uh, and yeah, maybe sometimes they sold to me before release day. I got it like two yeah. days earlier than the rest of the I country. did, I did queue in, um, HMV to buy the emissary on its, uh, 
press mm. release because it came out in a special like collector's box. Yes. I, oh, and, I, and you have the as the video sleeves, yeah. I actually <laughs> queued to buy the VHS tape. <laughs> yeah, I, I go in there on Saturday. Which is bad when you think about it early. now. It's worse. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it now, we complain that when there's a new episode of Lower Decks, we don't get it until nine o'clock the next morning instead of at midnight. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that that's how much the world is good. Could you think of now in any store, like even at the time it was just before they started really clamping down, but it's like, can you imagine any store to have the power to like, Give it out to someone two days early. That would have shown up on the till and probably alerted security oh, for VH, like for WH Smiths everywhere, you know. So. Without question. TN, TNG was shown on BBC Two, and I think it was about six months behind America. And that yeah. was really fast that we were seeing TNG. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll wrap up there then. Next week, the next two episodes are Treachery, Faith and the Great River and the Siege of AR558. Catchy time. Which episode numbers are they? <laughs> I'm not sure which episode numbers I know. There's there is a little bit of a break because there's a few Ezra is episodes. It, there's the O'Brien on Orion episode, isn't the, there? Yeah, not exactly. O'Brien on Orion. You've heard of Elf on the Shelf? Yeah. Oh, we can have O'Brien on Orion. Uh, that's an episode that we should cover at some point because it's very, very strange why O'Brien was the guy. There's friend. two. There are two uh, Orion Syndicate O'Brien episodes, so maybe we'll do them as a double bill. Yeah, it's um, time. Ex- absolutely. So that's what we're coming back with next week. In the meantime, you can get in touch with us, Retrek Pod. Uh, at Retrek Pod, you can email us retrekpod at gmail.com. You can find us on all the different socials, including Retrek Model Studios, where Elliot is currently working on. Right, since we were last on, I've actually had quite a lot of content hit the channel. So we had um, the Christmas Day Hobby Link International Open the Box, my secret Santa present. Which James kindly videoed Fantastic me opening. camera work on that one. It was my uh, Grogo, so that'll be that's gone into the stash pile. Um, two videos went out between Christmas and New Year because I did a speed build. I did a tight the Titan Terrorfish from Stingray. Um, another two videos have gone out so far this year because I'm doing a nostalgia build of a kit and equipment that I've had when I was 10 years old. <laughs> and that's maybe going to finish this weekend, maybe run into next week. Uh, and then we'll be getting back to the Impaler. And if you aren't subscribed, do subscribe because I'm very, very close to hitting 500 subscribers. I'm seven short, so that's going to happen in next week, maybe two. And there will be a giveaway on the channel with 500 subscribers. Oh. And amazing builds. They're amazing. Yeah, you want to be subscribed anyway. And Dr. Squee, what have we got going on? Uh, very quickly, basically, uh, Dr. Squee show as, is no longer a radio show, just because I wanted to concentrate on the video show going forward. So uh, starting soon, I'm trying to line up a few interviews uh it's going to be every thursday at seven o'clock is the idea so previously i've just done interviews as and when people are available kind of the reason why i wanted to count the radio show as much fun as it was was i could concentrate on the video version we could have it coming out on the same day each week people can't make it on thursday i'll just pre-record so yeah 
coming soon is all I can say. We're going to have some brand new guests, 7 o'clock every Thursday, so I can build up a bit of an audience that way. So, yeah, please, please tune in. Fantastic. And thanks for trekking with us this time. We will see you next time on the Retrek. Thank you. Goodbye. LLAP and drag off 2024. Woo! We're back. <laughs>